Hey everyone, my name is Jason, host of B2B Better, a new podcast for the marketing professional looking for actionable advice they can put into practice today. I know what you're probably thinking, is there a need for another marketing podcast? Like many of you, I've listened to hundreds if not thousands of these things over the last 10 years or so that I've worked in marketing, and for the most part, I've really enjoyed doing so. Uh, Being able to listen and learn from organizations that you really admire really gives you a greater appreciation of the craft. But over that time, I've never really found a resource that I felt was created for people like me, and that is professionals working for the 99.9% of companies that I would call quote-unquote normal, small to medium-sized businesses that aren't listed on a stock exchange or don't have the resources and gloss of a Google, Unilever, IBM, take your pick. And these organizations have unique problems, and that is normally they have small budgets or they've got small teams, maybe it's just one or two representing the entire marketing function across a business. They've got complicated value propositions, products and services that are being sold to a small, relatively small group of people. Uh, They maybe struggle to sell new ideas internally and they've been doing the same kind of marketing for years just because that's what's happened. And that's the kind of situation I found myself in when I've over my career. And it's the type of professional that I feel needs the most help because stylized case studies from companies listed in the Nasdaq or in the FTSE 100 are amazing and inspirational, but they are unattainable and unachievable for for many organizations out there. So that's who I created this podcast for. And what I hope to give back to the industry that's already given me so much is real, practical, actionable advice that can be taken from listening to this podcast and applied immediately into your day-to-day work. A little bit about me. I did not study or train to be a professional marketer. I, like many others, held close a dream of becoming a famous actor and film director and actually went to university to study for that. And it didn't happen. And actually, it turned out for the best because I absolutely love what I do now. And I've bootstrapped my way from not knowing what a press release is, not really understanding social media to, you know, running communications for a global technology brand. And I love it. And I want to share the tips and the tricks and the insights that I've picked up over that 10 year career and do so alongside, you know, other great minds from the space. So on the first episode of the podcast, I brought on my friend Hermione Wright. She's an amazing writer for both B2B and B2C organizations. She tells me how she approaches writing like a human and for humans, what a tone of voice document is and how to create one, and importantly, sell that into the organization um, and make sure that people actually use it over a long term. And we also have a small debate on that age-old copywriting conundrum to Oxford comma or to not Oxford comma. So this is the first episode. We were both a little bit nervous, but so, so excited. Really hope you enjoy it. And here we go. So on the very first episode of B2B Better, I'm very excited to welcome my former colleague and my friend, Hermione. How are you doing, Hermione? I'm very good, thank you. Very excited to be your, your first guest. 
thank you very much. It's very exciting to have you. Um, obviously, you know, we, we go way back. We've, we've worked together for, for many years now. Um, where was it we first, we first met again? We met on LinkedIn, actually. So back right. in the day, I had just launched my website. And I'm kind of, you know, as a freelancer, I'm probably not the best at self-promotion, despite the fact I'm now breaking through and doing a podcast. So I had my website and I hadn't actually posted about it yet. And my friend asked if he could. So I mm. said he could. And then I think you were kind of distant connections. And then immediately I kind of, yeah, was, was introduced and the, the rest has been history. It was, it was really good timing, if I remember right, because I just sat down with my boss at the time and I'd said, we need a copywriter because we're doing a good job on our own, but we really need to take it up a notch now and bring in some, some professional help um, because, you know, we were in a small team and, and, and we were kind of trying to do a little bit of everything on our own. And I mean, the stars aligned because, as you say, our mutual contact literally on the day that I was having that conversation said, if you need a copywriter, you should speak to Hermione Wright. And here we are. It was perfect. I mean, I think I was still in the proofreading stage of my own copy, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm happy it all worked out. <laughs> I mean, I know a little bit about the kinds of companies that, that you've, you've worked for and you currently work for, but it's a combination, right? You're kind of going into big, well-established businesses that already have sitting content copywriting teams, and you're, you're there to help you know, augment their capabilities. But you're also going into companies where maybe they've got a marketing team of, of one or two people. Um, and you know, they're wearing lots of different hats, and you're, you're taking on you know, the full brunt of, of their copywriting, right? Yeah, very much so. And to be honest, you know, a big part of my job that I really love is the variety. Um, so it could be that I'll be working with a client for a long time, or it could be that I'll, you know, be there for a period. As you say, it could be a huge company or, or kind of much smaller that, you know, haven't heard of tone of voice or anything like that. So for me, um, I love, you know, learning is a huge part of the job as well. I, you know, mm. I always make, make clear that when I first come onto a job, you can't be an expert on anything. I, um, I kind of, um, have, has, have set out to actually not market myself in a particular way like a lot of copywriters will say you know I just work in the fashion industry or I just work in the tech space or whatever it is but for me um, I like the honesty of going in and saying sure like I don't know everything about this at this point but mm. what, I, what I am good at is I, I like learning and I like talking to people and I like finding out about those things and once if you put the effort in I mean obviously it depends what you're doing I'm probably not going to be the expert at some kind of really high-tech medical thing or something but I mean you know you, you learn um, and for me the variety is, is what I really enjoy. And I remember that was something that really sold us on you when when we worked together was the the fresh pair of eyes and the fresh outlook that you were taking to to the stuff that we were doing which was you know high enterprise b2b technology and I think it's fair to say that you really hadn't been that exposed to that kind of industry in the past and kind of coming in and you know going through that process with us and I think we were redesigning our website at the time so you were involved in mm -hmm. you know, the kind of mm -hmm. producing of the copywriting for that really helped us make our writing more concise more succinct and just more human right and more and more mm -hmm. uh, approachable for someone that doesn't come from you know the beating heart of enterprise tech yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, kind of whatever the industry up to a certain point, I think the skills of kind of writing a good story and telling something in a human way are hugely transferable. And yeah, I kind of, as I said, honesty for me is my number one thing. So you just go into 
a job and it and I would much rather ask I mean remember when we first met I think I just sat there and just asked you a million different questions that's right yeah. and I just and in fact I remember kind of when I first um started working in journalism and being very young and my, and my first job I was embarrassed kind of I, I kind of made sure I didn't want to ask too many questions because I wanted to kind of show to people that I already was an expert on this specific community initiative in this you know borough that I had only just moved to but actually you can't be an expert on everything and I think as long as you're kind of open to that and you're willing to learn then you can you can do great things yeah absolutely so let's go back to basics when we say copywriting yeah. what are we talking yeah. about where where do you find it um, particularly in a b2b setting well, I mean, I might say something very controversial here, and I feel here like... Here we go. Um, <laughs> Episode one, coming out swinging. <laughs> like, copywriters across the, the UK or whoever's listening might, might start kind of sending me horrible messages into my DMs. Um, but I actually feel like I actually don't particularly market myself as a copywriter. So people have very strong opinions on content writing and copywriting, and then also journalism. And... For me, I feel like all of those skills, especially today, very much have kind of merged into one. I mean, if you're working for a brand, then realistically, whatever you're doing, whether or not it's an article, whether or not it's a social media post, whether or not it's a strapline for the side of a bus, you're trying to convince someone to act. I mean, it might not even be kind of a physical thing in terms of kind of clicking that link at that certain point, but it might be kind of having that idea of the brand in your head and you know wanting to go and buy that pot of yogurt later later on or you know there's still the kind of underlying message whatever you're trying to do yeah so that that's why i kind of i mean it's probably terrible for seo but i don't, I don't tend on my website i don't try, i don't tend to position myself as a copywriter or a content writer i just am a writer and that mm. might also be that might also be because of my journalism background um, and, you know, still I will, I'll be kind of working, you know, I'll write articles for more traditional news outlets today as well. So I kind of tend to blur all the skills together, but people have got very strong opinions on that. So, I mean, <laughs> I, might, I might get shot down, but, but yeah. And, and I think, you know, I talk to a lot of um, you know, younger people that are setting out or kind of ask for advice or, on kind of making writing their career. And that for me is always my number one thing. So, I mean, I don't even know if I, if you see my CV, I can't remember. Um, but, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, I would never, I, I don't write copywriter anywhere. It's just always writer. Um, just because for me, I think, you know, the skill is telling a good story, listening to people, writing like a human. Um, so I would never turn down a brief if, if it was, you know, someone coming to me asking to write a tweet or an article or you know a billboard whatever it is I, 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 for me I would still say it's the same skill I mean you've made um you've made writing your career um uh, and you're very good at it by the way um there's you know a tendency I think particularly in business to business communications for copywriting or for writing to be fairly dull fairly dry fairly boring what would be your advice for marketers who aren't writers by trade you know maybe they don't have um the skill the training that you know you've had throughout your career and that exposure to the journalism side and what have you but are being asked to fulfill a copywriting or a writing function you know within their organization where, where should they start well i think firstly i just try to say don't overthink it i mean 
I think I think you're, it's kind of hammered into from school days um, to, you know, use your best English and, you know, write in a certain way and, you know, then you'll pass your test, etc. But what I really try to do is I, I try to write things as I would say them, obviously to a point, you know, you need to think about what your audience is. But largely, if I wouldn't say that word, then I wouldn't write it. And I think that can really help. And I think especially today, you know, people want brands to be authentic. So for me anyway, I know everyone's different, but if I saw a kind of really wordy, really complex article or tweet, again, it depends what it, what it is, but for me, I would be less likely to want to engage with it. I prefer brands that are more human. Something that I always remember from journalism school is they, they told me about the pub storytelling method. As a fan of pubs, I instantly was uh, intrigued. And they basically said that if you think about a story, whatever it is, think about how you would tell that to your friends in the pub and then use that as a way to work out what the angle of the story is. I mean, of course, it depends about how you speak to your friends in the pub, but I just think it can be a good way to think about what, what that hook is. Because I think, especially if you interview someone for an hour, you then would get the transcript back or however you're working. And there's so much information in there. It can be really difficult to know where to begin. But if you just think, right, you know, I've read this. And if I was going to talk to someone, what, what would be the first sentence? And that can, that can really help you kind of work out where to start. And I guess even in a similar vein, there's something they're also talking about, they're kind of the upside down triangle or inverted triangle, whatever it was called. And it's basically talking about in a news article. And, and you know, for me, it's, it's the same if I'm writing for a brand or, or whatever. You know, most people are going to be reading the first few parts of your, of your copy. So you need to, you know, I think before I, when I was kind of writing essays at uni and stuff like that, I'd try and kind of have the big reveal later on. Mm. But actually, people don't have time for that. <laughs> you need to get the key information right at the top. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's different, I guess, to, to writing a, a novel. Get the information that you really want people to read up there. And then, you know, realistically, however good a writer you are, you're probably not going to get every single person to read right to the end. So you just need to keep them hooked for as long as possible. So yeah, that's that's what I would say. And just try and be yourself. Yeah, mm. you know, write the story you want to tell. I think also, especially if you're kind of relatively new, taking taking criticism and feedback can be something that can be really difficult because writing is a subjective thing. There's realistically, you can't write a book, you know, saying exactly how you should do it because everyone's got a different way way of doing things. And I even remember remember kind of working for a brand a little while ago we used to all work on google docs and i'd be writing and then the designers would be looking at what i was writing while they were then trying to work out things and i found it really hard because i was kind of halfway through a story and i and i hated kind of you know showing people where where i was before it was finished but i guess that can't it comes with practice but you just but you just need to you know you need to be open to to hearing other points of view but at the same time if you really strongly agree with something you've written and fight fight your battles but um but just listen and, t- and take feedback as well there's nothing worse than editing a document um, or writing a document on a shared google file and seeing that little profile bubble just oh, pop up horrible. in the top right hand <laughs> corner and and, and seeing that little cursor just like appear yeah. in the in the line and you're like Oh, don't, don't. especially if you're editing work because because you know i edit quite a lot of work and yeah, um yeah. Uh, just seeing the author kind of pop up um it, it it really it really it really is like running your running nails down a chalkboard for me um I know. just let me finish it because sometimes i'll be writing feedback 
And then I'll realize like, you know, paragraph down that actually my feedback was incorrect. Like they have said that or they have got to that point. And I go back and I delete it. And I feel like I don't, you know, I don't want to upset anyone before I've had a chance to really. I know. I completely agree. It's really hard. But again, you know, everyone's in it together. And I feel like you can't, I try not to, I think even when I would present a piece of work or kind of, you know, even if I've interviewed someone, I mean, obviously in journalism, it's not the same. But if I've written a piece of work and then I'm sharing it with someone, I always make sure to be like, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to be offended. I'd rather you just told me how you feel. Because I think there is, you know, people kind of feel like you're going to really upset them and all that sort of stuff. But for me, I do much prefer it to be a kind of a collaborative thing. And I would rather hear if someone didn't like a particular word or whatever to get better next time. Exactly. It's constructive. It's not criticism. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to kind of go back to something you said right at the start of the last question, you know, Mm -hmm. to be human to mm-hmm. write like a human. And I think in B2B in particular, there's a fear of doing that. Mm-hmm. Like it's, easy for a con- it's easier for a consumer brand, you know, because they're talking to consumers. And by no means am I saying that consumers are human and B2B professionals are not human. But there yeah. is definitely a distinction in um, where are you coming at them from. And I think a lot yeah. of B2B marketers, and it's certainly something that I struggled with when I first started writing for, for, for B2B was adding more flavor, adding more authenticity, yeah. adding myself, I guess, to the writing. Do you have any kind of thoughts or advice for someone who's, you know, struggling to kind of make that leap? For me, I actually try not to make the distinction between B2B and B2C, because at the end of the day, even if you are writing to a business, you are writing to a human. There is, you know, I try to think about how I would like to be spoken to and you know what I would be interested in in seeing and yeah I think I think again it's it's just about kind of being human because it doesn't it doesn't matter you're not I'm not actually specifically speaking to you know the whole you know thousand people within the company I'm speaking to the one person that's at the end of the social media post or the the article or whatever and then it'll take that one person to go and speak to their boss or, or whatever it is um but just for me I think it's I try to very much not think about b2b and b2c I just think about making it sound interesting and not writing like a robot what do you what would be your advice for someone who has taken the decision a marketer who's taken the decision of okay i'm gonna i'm gonna rewrite my website i'm gonna start rewriting my copy um for all the mm-hmm. content in this more human this more kind of authentic personable tone and then have to sell that thinking into the organization you know maybe they have a, a boss or a leadership team that are entrenched in a particular mindset of you know b2b communications or our communications as a business needs to be this kind of you know more buttoned Mm. up formal approach do you have Mm. have you ever kind of come across that situation where you've almost had to convince stakeholders in an organization that taking a more personal approach is the way forward I mean to be honest I think I think I've been quite lucky just in the fact that I think largely I mean of course not everyone but I think there is more of awareness now that people do want to kind of be spoken to like like people um so even when I think looking back to so innocent for example is um you know for me that was actually the brand that made me want to get into copywriting or writing or whatever you call it in this the, is the, in smoothie, the, first the smoothie brand right exactly the smoothie brand and that was you know for me I, I was young when I you know first started um being interested in, in in this kind of in how they were writing and it was just you know a, a mixing up how things were done before so you know interesting I remember there was always kind of 
like a little message underneath the bottom of the bottle you know the writing all around packaging just really interested me and I think since then there has been you know for me I mean I'm sure there are examples before but that was that was kind of the brand that really caught my attention and made made me realize actually advertising and kind of the way you present yourself doesn't need to be boring you, you can you can kind of be yourself so I think largely there is more of a, an awareness that that is okay that that's that's accepted but I don't know I guess I guess if you are struggling to to convince the CEO or, or whoever I mean I guess it's if, if you've been employed to take on the copywriting I assume there is a recommendation or, or a desire to do things differently test and learn I'm, I'm a big fan of that so you could always put out a couple of posts or put out um, an article that's perhaps written in a slightly different tone just to just to kind of test it and and see what results you get again kind of speak to people within the agency or the company or whatever you're working with to kind of see what's been working well and what hasn't been working well but I think just kind of opening up this discussion I think largely people are are, are willing to listen and you know just to try and do things slightly differently no one wants to be boring coming from the b2b world um like like I do you typically see really long sales cycles, depending on the kind of organization that you're working for. You know, with, with in, my, in my situation, when I worked in enterprise technology, you know, we're looking at sales cycles that can take anything from three months to three years, from kind of point of discovery of the company to point of signing a contract and becoming an official client. And I know one of the things that we've worked on together in the past is ensuring that you've got a consistent tone of voice uh, across materials over that significant amount of time. I guess two questions, you know, one, how does a marketer who's maybe never done one before go about establishing their tone of voice? And then secondly, mm-hmm. how do they ensure that consistency over the, over the long term? Firstly, I would say it's really hard. <laughs> like it, it can be difficult to do. It's really important but, you know, I wish I could say that there was a kind of, you know, a perfect format for producing a tone of voice document. I think, well, there probably is, but in all honesty, I haven't yet found it. I think it depends on the, the kind of company you're working with. I've seen so many different tone of voice documents in the past from, you know, a two pager to a 50 page document. And I think it depends on, you know, you need to think about the people within your company. Like, what are you going to find most useful? Um, how many people, for example, are, you know, manning the social media channels or the newsletters or, or whatever it is. It completely de- depends. But something that I learned when I worked at one of the agencies that I was working at is trying to kind of personify the tone of voice. So literally thinking about kind of who the person is that is is writing. So actually kind of, you know, really think building up this person. So we would sit down and have these ideation sessions about, you know, where this where this person would uh shop at a supermarket, what they would be like at parties, you know, what cocktail they would drink, things like that. And it's kind of it's hard because it's very difficult to define. And I think a lot of people would, you know, if you say that that person is quiet at parties, then perhaps one person would interpret it in a different way. It's very difficult to completely define, but I think it can help. And, but, but it is difficult as well because language is kind of, I don't like to say you can never use this word. You must always use this word, for example, because so many things depend on context. So I think, you know, a little list of, of kind of do's and don'ts, but with a big asterisk of, you know, <laughs> it, it, you can ignore this if, if situation 
um, arises. But just kind of, you know, thinking a little bit more about what sort of personality your tone of voice is. Also some real tangible examples. I think you can sit down for hours and hours and kind of, you know, get really kind of blue sky thinking or whatever about what this tone of voice is, but then actually not think about how that translates translates itself into an actual tweet or an article and things like that. So actually providing examples that people can follow can can really help. I think that's really important, you know, because especially in business to business contexts where, you know, if we're thinking from the point of view of, you know, a solo or a small team of marketing professionals who mm-hmm. are trying to bring alignment to tone of voice across across the entire organization you know looking at their yeah. employees who are acting as advocates by extension across their own social profiles mm-hmm. and their own their own outreach ensuring that everyone's kind of singing from the same hymn book so to speak is super important but yeah. if you're trying to do this from scratch if you're trying to build a tone mm-hmm. of voice document it's a it's a steep learning curve right because people mm-hmm. actually have to work at it And I think sometimes, you know, as a marketing team, you can have a very clear vision and idea of what is tone of voice, but sending that document out once and not following it up constantly, constantly hammering home, constantly checking people on on what they're putting out into the world on behalf of the client. You know, that's that's where where you can have a successful tone of voice. I suppose what I'm getting at is the key thing is to keep it simple, right? Depending on, you know your organization and depending what your objectives are creating a kind of 50 page tone of voice guide in an organization that's never had a tone of voice guide before sounds like it could be a bit of a recipe for disaster it's too much and i think you're right i mean i think you know having i think it can be helpful to have a kind of master document that absolutely doesn't need to be 50 pages but kind of a bible if you like of what the tone of voice is but then i do think it's important you know whether or not it's once every two months six months three weeks whatever it is to then have these kind of refreshes and actually something that i have found useful and i've done for clients in the past is actually kind of read um is actually led workshops Mm. so um you know that would be teams groups of i think i did one with about up to 100 one time which was pretty intense wow. yeah. um, <laughs> but you kind of kind of talk through the, the tone of voice guide because realistically if even if you write this 30 page document and send it around to a huge company a lot of people aren't going to read it and <laughs> so if you <laughs> so if you actually kind of present it and talk talk them through it and then also have kind of i have done practical sessions as well so you know had an example of a tweet or a job description or an article, whatever it is, that had been written historically within that organization. And then going back through the principles that we discussed, then, you know, have a live session of of getting these people to kind of change them and and kind of come up with with ideas about, you know, why they would change them and and what makes them better. I think that can really help to stick stick in people's memories as well. And again, I just try and make sure that really, that although... I just I don't want it to go back to to school and and then people feel like there's a, a right or wrong answer. I think it is a kind of learning process and just kind of feeling like you can ask and you can kind of you know and even if the fact that you do feel like you write this tone of voice document and then in three months time you feel like actually it needs to evolve it needs to change. I mean great like I think it, it's it's never finished basically. It, it's something that's that's always there and will always evolve. 
I mean, if you're in a situation where you're going into an organization and, you know, they're asking you to help create their tone of voice document and they're saying to you, look, we need to keep it concise. You know, we're sending this out mm -hmm. to our sales team across the world. They haven't got a lot of time. They're not going to sit down and read, you know, a 10, 20 page document. We really need to kind of sum this up in one or two pages. Mm -hmm. what, what would be the basics, you know, like what, what would be the, the few fundamental things that you would want to include in a tone of voice document? I would start by, I mean, potentially just have a very brief outline of what tone of voice is. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would just have perhaps three or four key principles explaining who we are. So whether or not it's, I don't know, humorous or formal, whatever it is, and just explain a few, a few ways that that would kind of manifest itself in language. And then perhaps five or ten do's or don'ts and then some concrete examples boom that's it yeah yeah i think i think that's good i mean you know it's, i think if if i remember correctly that's kind of how we started out when we worked together was just keeping things really simple really concise and if i remember correctly we started off having a, a, a quite a long document and you yeah. know, quite a long presentation um and we did yeah. all those exercises that you mentioned the ideation exercises yeah. around, you know what what kind of drink would our company drink and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's all really useful within, within a communications team, but especially mm -hmm. when you start taking out this kind of document, this tone of voice thinking to a leadership team, to a commercial mm -hmm. team who don't have the time necessarily to, to really sit down and get under the hood of it, keeping things as yeah. tight as possible with, you know, what is tone of voice? Who are we? Yeah. And what are some concrete examples? It's a great place yeah. to start. Absolutely. And, and I think one other thing that's important is, you know, workspaces in the past where perhaps like a external agency or, or kind of someone would just come into the room and just then dictate, you know, this is who we are when actually they don't have a huge background about what the company is. I think, you know, even if you are going to just have a five page, two page document, whatever it is, it's really important to talk to people. I mean, it's different, you know, if you've been working at the same company for the last 15 years, then of course, you're more entrenched in who the company is and what the people are like. But I think it's really important to actually say you are going to go down the route of, you know, who this person is when they shop at a supermarket, etc. You need, you can't just decide those for yourself. You need to actually bring other people from the team in and, and ask their opinion. And actually that's a way to kind of get buy-in from, from other people and like make them excited about the, the changes and, and kind of how they're going to be presenting themselves and also explain why it's important. And I think also, you know, perhaps 10 years ago when, or more, if there was just one external communication channel, perhaps people were, I don't know, just writing flyers or, or just doing an email campaign, whatever it is. I think now, largely, again, totally depends on the company, but there are so many different channels and there's largely, even if you're just a team of eight or 10, there's still a lot of people with different views on how they would write. So it's, it's so, so important, especially now to just to try and get a bit of consistency and, and work out who you are. Otherwise, it's just so fragmented. People will read and just be like, oh, but you're this way on, you know, you're really super serious on Twitter, but then your emails are just like, you know, you use loads and loads of exclamation marks. I mean, who are you? Yeah. And I think it can be a real point of differentiation in owning that tone of voice, you know, particularly in B2B, where a lot of the time across competitors, things are quite samey, samey, you know, using the kind of same keywords, using the same kind of vocabulary and language it's actually quite refreshing as a B2B buyer, I feel, to come across a website to discover some content from a potential vendor that is is human, is relatable, mm -hmm. is approachable. 
and then see that tone of voice reflected across all comms. It's not just, we got a great freelancer in for the day and we published one piece of cool content, but actually it's something that exists throughout the organization and exists across all of our communications. And not just from marketing either, especially from, from where I come from, a big part of our quote unquote marketing is done through the commercial teams, through direct outreach to potential prospects. Mm -hmm. And it's important that they in the commercial team and us in the communications marketing team are working hand in hand to present mm -hmm. that united front to come across mm -hmm. as, as one entity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, such small things that you can do as well to, to that will make a huge difference. I mean, my biggest thing is I, again, I'm sure other people will have different opinions, but I hate it on social media or if I'm reading an article and then a company talks about themselves in the third person. So, you know, if you're instead just, just say we or us or are, and it's just immediately, that's just such a small thing, but it just, it makes, you know, like we were going back to before, it, it makes you sound more human and it makes it sound like even, you know, realistically, you know that a person is writing it, not, not the company. Yeah. Um, so you feel like even, even the employees within are a kind of united front. It's such small tweaks like that, that I think, you just, if you get your team on board, just make sure you write like that, it, then that, that can really help. I mean, I think you've touched on this already, but in terms of maintaining consistency over a long period of time, so that, you know, customer who discovers you one day and then all the way through to a, a year or two later when they actually make a purchase from you, um, ensuring that that kind of consistency is there. Is it simply down to checking in with all the all the riders within the company periodically and ensuring that you know they're aware of the rules you know what other things can you do to, to maintain that consistency yeah I, think, I don't know i think there's a there's a combination of things i mean as you say checking in regularly if there is one dedicated person that is creating this tone of voice document perhaps kind of putting in a call once every two months or whatever it is just to provide almost just an open forum and for people to to ask questions and potentially, you know, even take tweets or, or, you know, whatever piece of content you want to critique and just talk about whether or not it is kind of spot on tone of voice or if there are different ways that you could have articulated yourself, even doing it with competitors as well, talking about, you know, how you could, how you, you know, your company would, would tweak that post to kind of make it sound more like you. And yeah, just, just having a, an open forum and, and just kind of trying to get people excited. And as I said, I think just, you know, if you are, if you have the, the list of simple rules, rather than just kind of feeling that people have got to drown in, in a document, then it can help. And that idea of kind of speaking like a human and thinking of your tone of voice as an actual person, I think, I think kind of, kind of helps. But, you know, I don't have all the answers. It's hard. As I said, you can't, it, it, for me, it's impossible to kind of have an absolute definitive list of, of everything, you know, that should be covered in a tone of voice. But I think it's just being being open to, t to talk about it and, and kind of willing to, to get better. I want to focus in on a very particular type of content that you have worked a lot on, um, or we've worked a lot on together, which is that of the interview. And yes. this is when we want to write about a particular subject within an organization. Yeah. Going back to your point, we're not experts in these subjects. Yeah. We want that level of detail. So we go within the organization and we interview the CTO, we interview an engineer, we interview you know, a commercial lead, a product person, whoever. So you've produced a lot of content like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, <laughs> for me, this has been a really interesting process because I spend my entire time 
interviewing people but I very rarely get interviewed so it's kind of it's been it's been interesting having this shoe on the other foot and it's kind of reminded me what it's like yeah but <laughs> you'll go um, easier on you'll go easier in your next interview yeah yeah exactly for me I tend to so in terms of you know it's really important to make people feel comfortable so actually if I'm even if I'm setting up a meeting invite for our interview I make sure to not call it an interview I don't know if this is kind of I've never actually spoken to anyone about this. So I don't know if they even notice or if I'm the only person that would care about this. But <laughs> I just feel like the idea of an interview is kind of, you know, you're, you're, it's like going back to job interviews or you're being put on the spot, but I'll tend to kind of position it as a chat or, you know, mm. some, something in, in, a, in a different way just to, just to make people feel a little, little bit more comfortable. I'll always kind of start off by talking about the weather or any sort of random small talk to kind of get, get people in the zone. And then... I guess it's just, you know, lots of open questions. I think, you know, even before we've all been kind of working from home, like, you know, years ago when I'd be interviewing people, I'd be using Zoom and things like that or, or kind of whatever other packages like that to interview people online. And I wouldn't necessarily even think about having the camera on. For me, actually, I think it's so important. I now always have the camera on because even if you're not in the same room as someone, I think you can kind of learn a lot about someone and you can hopefully put people at ease if you're kind of speaking to them face to face. And yeah, just, I mean, everyone is different. I think, you know, a big part of my job, at least over the last, I don't know, four or so years has been trying to speak to people about kind of quite complex subjects. Yeah. Again, that I'm, I'm absolutely not necessarily an expert in. And some people it's kind of can be the balance between you know you'll be speaking to an engineer about a topic that they absolutely are passionate about and they've been working in for the last 20 years and they might not think about the fact that actually the reader isn't going to have that knowledge I always say well how would you explain that to you know your grandma or a child or mm. you know whoever someone someone or whoever someone that doesn't know doesn't have the knowledge yeah. um and after a while it, it's kind of breaking through that kind of more techie stuff to because it's it's a skill to to try and kind of explain things in in human ways and to to break through but again it completely depends what you're what you're interviewing people about and you know some people are really open and kind of want to chat and i will only have to ask them two or three questions or some people you know take a bit it takes a bit of warming up and and you just need to kind of judge each situation but i will tend to always whoever i'm speaking to i'll have a list of about 10 questions and i'll make sure to share those with the person as well just so that they kind of know and of course a conversation might go off track and and that's fine but just making sure that people have a bit of time to prepare and kind of know roughly what, what I'll be asking them. And then once you've done the interview and it's all gone well and the person hasn't broken down, you know, in tears <laughs> <laughs> because of yeah. your questioning. Um, terrible when that happens. Yeah, so I hate it when that happens. <laughs> what, how do you then take that interview? I mean, what's your process in taking that interview and creating it into a digestible piece of content? So I would, again, depends on the situation, but say I interview someone for 45 minutes, you tend to have multiple pages. So I'll, I'll make sure I'll be recording. I'll let them know that I'm recording. And then I'll either, you know, I'll get a transcript, whether or not that's automatic or, or that's kind of through a transcriber or however that works. And then I'll tend to literally either, you know, print it off or have it in front of me and, and highlight the important things. And I'll and I'll go through that and I'll kind of start the things that, you know, I'll think about the pub storytelling method and I'll, I'll think about, um, you know, what, what the story is, you know, what the nice quotes are and kind of begin to shape the story from there. And then I will literally just kind of start, 
you know, taking bullet points and just, you know, start to kind of shape my paragraphs. Especially when I'm writing for web, I think it's, I always try to have subheadings as well, just because I think, you know, readers online tend to be busy and however hard I try, they may not read every paragraph. So I just want, I try and have where possible kind of every section as almost like a, its own story. So I think about, you know, where those, you know, which quotes, which, which sections would, would go into each of those subheads. So yeah, that's, that's my, my usual process. I actually discovered a really interesting tool the other day um, for transcribing because not everyone's mm-hmm. afforded the luxury that we've had in the past of getting a, yeah. a full Zoom account that does the audio transcription. It's called Trint, T-R-I-N-T. I've heard, yeah, I've heard of it, but I haven't used it. Yeah, we, we signed up for an account the other day and um, it's really good. I mean, it takes, it takes next to no time for the audio to be uploaded and it pumps out a script, which is... I mean, look, you know, there's always a degree of error um, mm. around, especially yeah. when, you're, when you're talking about kind of acronyms and, you know, industry terminology. Yeah. But by and large, it's really, really good. And I think if you are a solo marketer and your interest is speed, mm-hmm. trying to get a lot of things done in a short amount of time, mm-hmm. running an interview, getting a transcription, and then just kind of repurposing that transcription into a blog post, as you say, highlighting the most important parts mm-hmm. is such a win, you know, rather than kind of sitting down and writing a blog post from scratch, just use what, yeah. use what you've already got. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it can also be really valuable to think about the transcript you've had and then think of it as an article or it could be that, you know, in two weeks time, you then want to go back and there's an interesting quote and then you want to turn that into a social media asset. I mean, you, you, there's so much you can do with a half an hour interview. Um, it's just kind of, yeah, think, think about your audience and finding clever ways to repurpose it. I did just want to ask you a final question. And mm-hmm. this is an important one. It's around the Oxford comma. <laughs> here we go. We're getting into the so, deep stuff here. I've... I've <laughs> I feel like we may have had this discussion in the past because I am. <laughs> so I am so pro the Oxford comma, which is funny because I feel like I'm not kind of, you know, I started reading um, what's that? Each Toots and Leans, whatever it's called, the other yeah. day. And I just, I mean, I know it's great. And as a writer, I should say that it's my absolute Bible. But I mean, you know, I picked up a magazine instead. So... But I just, I find it so, I just love the Oxford comma. I think it's, it really helps to um, make the article, you know, or make what you're saying a lot easier to read. Um, I think, you know, I, I guess perhaps I overthink it, but there's very few times that I, I wouldn't try to sneak a little Oxford comma in there. But I know, I feel like it's a bit of a dying art. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that, that don't like it and that's fine. But for me, it's always got to be there. Hermione, this has been a really, really interesting chat. And thank you so much for taking care of me on my very first episode. Um, (laughs) um, And I know you're not um, uh, a huge kind of Twitter poster, but if people do want to follow you or do want to learn more about your services, where can they go? You can head to my website, which is www.hermionewrites, which is H-E-R-M-I-O-N-E, writes, W-R-I-T-S. Worth, worth, worth spelling it out. Yeah, because worth my, spelling it out. My, my surname is also right, so it could and spell in a different way, so it obviously confuses people. Dot com. So yeah, HermioneWrites.com, so you can kind of find out more about me and my work there. But yeah, my, my social media presence probably needs to be upgraded. But website, I'm all, I'm all there. All there. Well, thanks very much, <laughs> Hermione. This has been really, really fun, and um, we'll definitely get you back on a future episode. We'd love to. Cheers, Jason. And that's it for episode one of B2B Better. 
it's been a long road to pull this together. It's something I've wanted to do for a, for a long, long time. And a huge thank you if you've made it this far for listening. A huge shout out to Hermione for joining me on this first iteration of this new project. It was a little bit scary, but we got through it. I'd love to hear what you think. You know, if you thought this was was good, leave me a rating in your podcast directory of choice. Leave me a, leave me a comment. You can reach me at Jason R. Bradwell on Twitter. If you want to appear on a future episode of this podcast, I'd love to talk to you about anything to do with content marketing, social media, digital marketing, event planning, strategy, branding, design, whatever. You know, if if you work in B2B marketing, we have something to talk about. So, so reach out. I'd love to hear from you. We've got episode two coming in the next couple of weeks, which we're very excited about. And thank you so much again for, for listening. Bye-bye.